Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast for The Knockdown. Thanks, as always, for listening. I am delighted as our guest today, we have Olin Brown, one of golf's great late bloomers. Olin didn't win his first tour event until the tender age of 39, and a healthy number of wins have followed. Uh, Two decades later, he's now out here grinding on the Champions Tour. Uh, Olin, thanks for taking time to do this. <laughs> it's great to be where, uh, with you, Alan. Good, good to see you again. Yeah, so you're 59. Gonna be. I'm 58. You're 58. I'm don't, trying, to, I'm trying say, to make you older than you already are. Don't send me down the river too soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough. So you're out here because you still think you can dominate, or you're just out here to hang out with your buddies? Where are you in that continuum? I'm still trying to get better. I mean, you know what? Everything is relative. And, um, you know, I, I played golf with Tom Kite today, and he's the hardest working guy out here. And you see him on the end of the range, and he still thinks he can figure out a, bit, a way to do it better. So that's a uh, pretty good target to follow. And uh, I think that's kind of like how we're all wired out here. The chase continues. I mean, do you, if you hit a good shot and you do, you're tweaking something, do you still get excited? You still you found yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you hit a really good shot, it really feels good. And, um, you know, golf is so hard and so elusive that there's enough – balance the other side of the coin where you hit enough bad ones where the good ones really have value is there anyone out on the championship tour who doesn't love golf i think some guys have had it with golf <laughs> um and i but i think that's at every level but you know it's a it's a life's occupation and guys are still into it and you know i think most of us are still pretty driven i mean you just had scotty mccarran on here and you see how well he's playing and how much he's motivated to keep playing well and he's had a lot of controversy this year and he's responded really well to it and so I think there are a lot of things that motivate a lot of different guys, and it's not always just the golf. It's about competing. It's about, you know, it's about a life's work, really. So what what are you working on right now? Give me, give me some specifics. This interests me. Well, I mean, when you miss hit a shot, there's a reason why, and it's really frustrating because everything is so exacting in this game. So, I mean, you played a lot of golf. You played a lot of golf at really cool places, and if you miss your mark by three or four yards from 200 yards – that can have a huge impact on, you know, your score, your sense of humor, what the rest of the day is bringing, and so <laughs> forth. So, I mean, we're all in the same boat trying to find a way to be as efficient as we can point A to point B. It's funny because I played in this event with, with John Cook, and uh, he, he didn't have his best his best round, and, you know, he flagged one on 17 at Pebble, and we're, we're standing in the back of the green. I said, that was such a pure shot. He's like, I don't care about that shot. I care about the ones I missed. Yeah, that's right. I was like, John. You're out here, you're, you're beautiful ocean view. You just hit a great shot. You're about to make birdie. I mean, enjoy it. But it's like, it's amazing how this game, the, the, the bad can stick with you a lot more than the good. Well, it's a big picture result, but it's a little picture stepping stone operation, right? So, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, what you post is what you post. That's the score. That's reflective of your performance for the day. But it's made up by between 65 and 75 little shots during the course of the round. And so... You know, one good shot after the fact when it's too late doesn't really matter anymore. You're already bent, and you're trying to find a way to get to the, to the next day so that you can make more of those good shots and give yourself an opportunity to shoot a better score. So your, your namesake, Olin Brown Jr., is out there chasing it as well. How stressful is it to be a golf dad? You know, he's, he's on the Canadian tour. He's, he's trying to, as you say, stepping stone. He's trying to make his way through the golf world. What is that like for you? Um, it's it's I, I caddy for him a couple times a year, and it's a lot easier for me to do that than it is to watch. You know, watching is is uh, you feel like you ought to have your hands in it, doing something, helping somehow. But uh, everybody's got to find his or her own way uh, to find what they 
are able to do best. And, you know, the way I perceive things doesn't necessarily have an application. It can be, it can be helpful, but he's got to find his way, put his thumbprint on his game and figure out a way to play, you know, the best way that he can. So, you know, I've got to be cognizant of that as a parent. Um, and that's why when I'm able to caddy for him, I'm able to help between the lines with numbers, wind direction, and so forth. And uh, then he's got to pull the trigger and hit his, hit his shots. How old was he the first time that he beat you on a golf course? You know, that's a, that's a point of contention because I'll tell everybody <laughs> he's never beaten me, but I know better than that. He's, uh, he was probably uh, 14 or 15. And, um, you know, he's got a beautiful skill set. Hits the ball a ton like all these other kids and has a beautiful yeah. short game. So he's got some skills, and if he can learn how to apply them and when to, when to push the pedal to the metal and when to hit the brakes a little bit, I think he's got a good chance. So when you're competing against him when he's a teenager – what percentage he was rooting for him to, to beat you and how much does Well, 100%, 100% is, me, is me rooting to lose. But, but then no, that's my inner voice talking. Yeah. Then my outer voice starts with the needle and the heckling <laughs> and that whole thing to make sure that he doesn't. So I, it's every parent's dream for their child to succeed at whatever it is that, that makes them happy in life. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Uh, when they're following in your footsteps. Sure. But m my shoes aren't that big to fill, so uh, <laughs> I'm just happy when he plays great, and I love I love seeing the joy uh, in him when he has a good week. I mean, don't don't sell yourself short. I mean, you've, you've had a very good, fruitful career, so I mean, you know how tough it is. Did you ever try and talk him out of it and say, you know, this is this is not an easy life? Um, no, I don't think that ever came up. I think it's you know kind of. Um, it's kind of an unspoken reality, right? I mean, he's seen the highs and lows, um, and he he sees how hard it is. But he, you know, he genuinely loves what he does. And as much like what would you do, you love to write, and you love to delve into stories and share those stories with everybody else. And it's uh, it's a gift and it's a talent and a gift to be able to do that. And so if you're if you're fortunate enough to fall in love with your occupation, you turn your uh, your avocation into your vocation. It's really a blessing, isn't it? Because you never work in a day in your life. Yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people would agree with that when it comes to me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I tell people all that all the time. It's like the number one way to be happy in this life is to love your job. Because That's right. You spend a lot more time doing that than anything else. Well, pretty much, you know. And, and um, it's really hard. It's really hard when things aren't going right, and you have to and you have to find a way to leave that away from when you leave the golf course, right? Uh, I haven't quite mastered that yet. I have bad days, and, I, and they carry over a little longer than they should. But, you know, golf teaches you a lot about resilience. And um, it's just a great game all around. And I'll tell you what, being out here at Pure uh, this week with the kids, I think it's everybody's favorite event. The kids are enthusiastic. They're so talented. They're such good kids, and they come from everywhere all around this country. And it's just really great to be a part of this tournament. Oh, I agree. I think it's one of the best events in oh, golf. It's and, not even close, right? And people think that golf is, is this, this stuffy country club sport. should meet some of these kids. I mean, their, their stories are incredible. They are. I mean, I played, I played with a kid a few years ago who was on the autism spectrum, and he's done very well for himself. Played uh, with this young African-American girl from the worst part of Atlanta. She's, uh, I follow her on Snapchat. She's going off to college. And, you know, it's, it's incredible how the, far the game has taken them. Well, it just goes to show you how great this game really is and, and how much it can impact and affect people. And uh, I think it gives everybody, a, you know, certainly a jolt 
when we can be part of that and we can be any kind of uh, effect on any of these young kids. And they come out here. Tom Kite and I played with our juniors today, as I said. It's such a great day. We had so much fun. And these kids are going to go home. They're going to tell their buddies, you know, hey, played with Tom Kite. He's in the Hall of Fame. How cool is that? Uh, and it really has an impact, and it's really cool. It makes you feel good to be part of that. Yeah. And, I mean, the mentoring is real. I mean, last year uh, I, was, I was with Peter Jacobson and our first tee kid, he had a he had a little bit of a temper, you know. He was it means it's a big event. He's trying hard, but he was he's getting a little too fiery, and you know he slammed a club here and there. And afterwards, Pete took him aside and, and he, said, "Dude," he, he said, <laughs> he "said, dude," and it, he was he wasn't like you know he wasn't a dick about it, but it was came from a very caring place. Like, but it was well, I you mean, know, in a lot of in a, for, for a lot of reasons, we've we've been there, yeah. you know. Uh, and so we can soften that, that, and the guys, the kids, as you say, are trying so hard and it means so much to them. Yeah. And sometimes, as you know, when you feel that at stake, you can't always put your best foot forward. Oh, and so that's the trick, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, do you still get in your own way on the golf course? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Every day, bud. When are you going to figure this out, Olin? I mean, come on. I don't know. Probably be six feet under before I ever figure it out. I mean, it's, it's like, as I said, it's, it's a life's occupation. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is, you know, when you're young, you think the only thing that's going to make you better is if you hit the ball better. Yeah. And then as you get older, you understand that you need to temper your enthusiasm a little bit, be a little more prudent in certain situations. And then as you get older, you can't hit 700 balls anymore. You start working on your short game harder, you know, or your putting or whatever, your mental game. So I think as you get older... The guys who've lasted a long time, especially, are the ones who figure out that there's some other aspect of their game that they can work on that doesn't necessarily beat up their bodies along the way, and they can still improve. And the bottom line, as I said, is the big picture, yeah. is what you shoot. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, a, that's a, the beauty of golf, is, uh -huh. is just give me a number. That's it. It tells you everything you need to know. That's everything you need to know. And what'd you shoot? <laughs> yeah. Not how'd you play, what'd you shoot? Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. Made a 12 on one hole. Put the rest of the table is pretty good. Well. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a 79 to me. Yeah, right. Um, it's funny you mentioned Tom Kite because I've, I've spent some time with Gene Wilson lately. And he told me one of the reasons he decided to walk away from the tour was he was in Puerto Rico. And I guess Tom Kite was playing there for some reason. And, you know, it's just kind of a cloister environment. He's, you're on one resort. Everyone stays together. And, and he kept he just everywhere he went, he saw Tom Kite just hitting balls, hitting balls in the gym. In the, and he's like... For Dean, it kind of it kind of gave him a sense of panic. Like, am I in 20 years? Am I going to still be out here, hitting ball after ball after ball? Like, he he didn't have that desire to keep chasing it. And when that goes, then you're not going to you're not going to last on tour. And well, you know, there are a lot of people who are really happy to take one direction and work that direction their entire lives, and then there are other people who like to take every side road there is. And that's cool. That's what makes the world go around, right? I mean, that's why you talk to people and you have interest in talking to other people because you, you find out about who they are, where they come from, what, they, what their interests are. And that can enlighten and fulfill your life. On the other hand, I found it to be kind of like the general rule of thumb is everybody who has reached a super elite level at any one given thing has immersed himself or herself in that task. Yeah. And so it's kind of it's like a balancing act, right? Um, some people are very attuned to the idea that they want to really delve into this game and, and get as just good as they possibly can. And other people like to use that as a vehicle to do other things. Yeah. So I think uh, just like the rest of life, it's, you know, it's to each his own and different interests, uh, different interests lead you in different directions. So what do you do to get away from golf? What are your passions? I got, I got to do something quiet. Yeah. Uh, I like to read a lot. I read junk. 
I read, I read not, not this is a segue to talking about you, but I read some of your stuff. <laughs> no, but That's I the like, best segue ever. <laughs> I like reading, you know, spy stuff and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so, you know, there were a bunch of us that throw books in lockers after we finish with them. So that, that gets passing around a little bit. Oh, that's fun. But it's I like lo- your own little, your own tour book club. Yeah, kind of, you know, but it's, I mean, it's real junk. It's Clive yeah. Cussler and, yeah. and uh, stuff like that. We get is, together and drink wine and talk about the books, like, no, like an actual book club. No, we drink wine, but the books don't get discussed. <laughs> plus, plus, the advantage to being 58 years old and reading a book is I don't remember what, what it was about next week. So I can, you know, in fact, this happens to me two or three times a year is I'll pull a book off the shelf at the airport and I'll get to page 33 and I go, you know what, I've already read this book and I'll leave it in the seat in front of me, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I like to fish a lot. Yeah. You know, I had a really nice fishing trip up on the Bow River the week of Calgary. Nice. And, uh, you know, when I'm home, I like to go with the kids and do that kind of thing. So nothing uh, nothing too complicated or too esoteric. Is there an unofficial world ranking of fishermen on the senior tour? Like, who, who's the guy with the rod? Oh, there are guys, you know, there are guys who can really, like, it depends on whether you're talking about bass fishing versus fly fishing versus deep sea fishing (laughs) the deep sea fisher fisherman would be gene sowers probably uh you know bass fishing guy might be might be jadon blake or something like that phil blackmark can throw a fly rod as well as anybody so can phil azinger yeah uh uh, paul azinger Azinger. paul azinger and uh you know i like to throw a fly too and so marco mira is a uh uh he's a plus two handicap with a spay rod he loves steelhead fishing yeah so uh, there are guys, you know, and it's funny because, you know, there's similarities to what we do, you know, the, especially when you get into the technical side of it, you yes. know, how to throw the rhythm, fly, how to the pretend tempo, it, yeah. yeah, and, you know, the river runs through it. That movie caused an explosion in fly fishing, and there's a lot of, you know, metaphors for life yeah. in that movie, which is why it became such a, such a success. But it's yeah. really a great way to spend some time away. Yeah. You mentioned Azinger. I mean, that, that's that's a part of your your golf biography that interests me. Is you're an assistant captain at the Ryder Cup in '08, and that was such an important Ryder Cup for the United States. I mean, it it it, it really it took eight years to kind of fulfill itself. I think to recognize that if if you empower the players, if if you have a system and a structure, I mean, Azinger provided this blueprint, and that finally got followed. And what are your what are your recollections from that week? I remember that there are a couple of things that I've done in, in my professional career that exceeded my expectations. One of them was the first time I played at the Masters, just because that tournament has always been on such a pedestal uh, for me, for a lot of players, but for me. And the other one was being a part of that Ryder Cup team, because it's it's almost impossible to explain uh, how intense the whole thing is i mean we got there on sunday morning we went out the first tee time was something like 11 40 a.m and we were there three hours ahead of time at 8 30 and the stands were ch- were chock-a-block packed the euros on one side the americans on the other needling singing songs i mean it was already full tilt boogie three hours before the first tee time and to 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 be kind of like on the sidelines but inside the ropes for that and plus i had i had the redneck pod right which was kenny perry and boo and jb and jim furick yeah and everybody asked me how did you get that pod and i said man that was an early christmas present (laughs) it was so much fun i can't tell you yeah and you know the level of play is so extraordinary watching those guys elevate their games uh so is just incredible under the intensity of that that uh that competition and you're right, Paul had an incredible plan in place. He had it already ready to go three or four years before the Ryder Cup. 
and he, he gave the, the players ownership and, and, and they bought into it and they responded so beautifully. It was just wonderful, wonderful week. Is Jim Furyk really a redneck? Well, he was really concerned and uh, that he got stuck, lumped in with the, with those boys. And and one of his questions uh, at the uh, celebration afterwards was, "How did this happen to me?" But you know, he was maybe he was the he was the the tempered steel in the redneck pod. How's that? Yeah, well and uh, you know, he's going to be a terrific captain. Uh, he's such a great player. He's got such a a long had such a long run of exemplary performance. Um, He's as measured a guy as there is, detail-oriented, beautiful uh, golf game, probably one of the best shot makers of the last 20 or 25 years on tour. And he's so well-liked and so well-respected. I think the players are going to respond to him just great. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. As, as a golfer, when you watch other golfers, what impresses you the most? Is, is it a super long straight drive? Is it shaping a shot? Is it, is it the short game? What, what catches your eye? You know, it's really that's a great question because I think there are so many different things that you see out here that are so remarkable. And, and you know, responding, responding when the, the need for the response is, is uh, one of the things that you always look, look toward and admire. I mean, Bernhard Langer, for example, the idea that he would answer the bell every single week and be in that kind of form – Every single week, it's just extraordinary, right? But, uh, you know, golf, is, it's a moving platform. It's never the same two shots in a row. And so the ability to adapt and execute, um, you know, under the variety of conditions in which we play, it's really, you know, everybody has great days out here and everybody has great weeks and everybody has great years. So it's just fun to be part of that. And it's kind of like a traveling circus that we see day in and day out, Um but it's mostly the same guys for the last 25 or 30 years, right? I wish yeah. I'd gotten to the tour earlier so I could have a longer run, or I've had a longer run yeah. in it, but I'm really enjoying being out here now. So, Are you the only Occidental alum who's ever made it in professional golf? I think maybe. <laughs> I remember we played Redlands was our big row. Well, yeah. Redlands was the better team in our division. Yeah. And one of the kids from Redlands saw my name in the paper at Tucson one year, and he said, that, that's an unusual name. There can't be two of them. And he came out to the range, and he said, I saw your name, and I, I just had to come ask you, how did you do this? <laughs> it was a pretty good line. Uh, but, you know, Oxy has a, has a much better golf program than I was when I was there, and they've got, a, they've got a men's team and a ladies team now, and I think they've uh, started putting some pretty good players out on uh, – uh, on the golf course, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else from Occidental eventually made it to one of the tours too. On your journey to to the tour, what, what was the nadir? Was there a moment when you just said, "I can't do this, I'm out"? No, because if if that had happened, I'd have quit a, a bunch of times. There are a lot of times when you walk away frustrated, wondering if you're crazy, you know. Uh, and certainly, when the Ben Hogan tour came around in 1990, my wife and I had had a son in '88, and you know, I was going nowhere playing mini tours or working in a bag room or whatever. And it w I was starting to wonder. And then the Hogan Tour came around and I finished 14th or 15th the first year of it. And I finished second to Tom Lame in the next year. And it basically, I guess, saved my, uh, saved my dream. Uh, postponed the resignation, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then I was lucky enough to you know, fall off the tour and get, earn my way back and fall off and earn my way back. And then won Hartford in 98. So you know, there's a lot to be said for hanging in there long enough so that, you know, you, the dream can continue. Uh, but you have to have a lot of things in place for that. You've got to have support and you've got to have, you gotta have a way, you've got to have motivation to stay in it. You know, yeah. you've got to have some rewards that keep you in it. 
long enough so that you can continue to strive towards whatever the goal that you've set might be. When would you walk away out here? Because it sounds like you're having so much fun. Oh, they're going to have to drag me away, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as long as I feel, you know, I'm 58 years old, but I like to tell people I'm really immature. So I'm hoping that that <laughs> kind of counters the aging process. Yeah. And um, like I said, this is what I've dedicated basically my adult life to. And I have no problem staying with it. I don't get sick of it. I, I, I get bent from having played poorly but yeah um you know you learn to brush that off and embrace the good times as much as you can so as long as i get enough of those to keep you know the motivation i don't see any reason and then you know you gotta knock on wood get rid of the injury bug or whatever everybody's yeah. had little nicks and stuff like sure. that but as long as my back holds up and my brain doesn't fry out you know i'll stay as long as i can because if you retire from this tour, all you do is go home and play golf anyway, right? Yeah, I'm going to go home and play with my son. And, yeah. and then his son, you know, and he's got another one coming any day now. So, you nice. know, it's just maybe, maybe the later part of my life is going to be encouraging them to play. My grandson already loves the game. Already makes him crazy, too. <laughs> How old is he? He's uh, two and three quarters now. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So the the father-son aspect really interests me with, 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 uh, with, with uh, Olin Jr. out there chasing it. What can you do to, to help him along the way? Because you, you have all this knowledge. Yeah. Does he want to hear it from you? or Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's six months later or a year later when somebody else says the same thing to him. And he comes up to me and said, hey. And I go, well, why didn't you try that when I said it? It's fathers and sons, you know. I mean, fathers know best, but that doesn't mean sons listen better. Yeah. Um, as I'm sure you know from having your yeah. own kids. Yeah. Um, and that's the hard part because... Because I feel, I, I mean, I would love for him to be able to see things as clearly as I see them for him. But then when you step back, you realize, well, those are the things that you earn through experience, right? And so he's going to have to figure that out for himself. And, and that's the trick. If I could give you either the Schwab Cup this year or your son a tour card next year, which do you choose? Tour card. No <laughs> too question easy. about it. Yeah, too easy. Too easy. <laughs> too easy. Yeah. All right, well. There's, there's two Olin Browns to root for. I like that. You're a good man, man. I could, it's been a long time since we, since we played. I think we should try and do it again. I like that, yeah. Right. Was, I think that was 03. At the, at, it was forever ago the, now. The Pebble Beach Invitational. It goes so far, so fast, doesn't it? I know. 03 is 14 years ago now. I still remember on the first hole, I fanned it way right at Old Del Monte. I was on the other side of the trees, and you guys are down the fairway. I hit the best five iron of my life over the trees to like 10 feet. Nobody saw it. I get up to the green. And you're like, hey, Alan, what do you put up? I said, I'm putting for three, man. You're like, oh, really? I had no idea. It's like, nice God. shot. It's like, yeah, thank nice you. Shot. Finally. I, I, it, it never occurred to me that you should play the hole that, that way, but you showed me nice. something I didn't know. After all these years, I feel, I feel validated. I got the nice shot that I needed. I'll thank tell you, you what, by the way, I miss playing Old Omani because I really think that's a great golf oh, course. So now, fun. it struggles because they have water issues up there or whatever, yeah. but as a layout, it's kind of a cool little, I mean, the oldest course west of the Mississippi, too. Oh, it's so great. Really nice. Okay, well, we're just going to end it on my five iron. I think that's the right place. So, uh, Olin, thanks for your time. And for those listening at home, thanks for indulging us. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. More podcasts coming from the knockdown shortly. So this is Alan Shipnuck signing off.